Welcome to Save Your Story, the podcast where we tell you about the rise and fall of your favorite, or rather, least favorite celebrity. I'm your host, Jose. Joining me is my co-host and best friend, Katrina Rochelle. Oh, yes. How are you doing today, Katrina? You know, I had a pretty good day. I'm in okay spirit, so overall good. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I am wonderful and so excited for the topic you're covering today. Bruh, I'm not too <laughs> so excited. Uh, I, I don't like when you're too excited because I feel like then it's like this motherfucking episode better not be a disappointment. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. So I am covering today's episode and we are doing something a little different. <laughs> <laughs> So I just had the idea, um, especially both with how these celebrities have been acting recently, some of these scandals, some of these rumors, got me thinking of the sit-down interviews, the tell-all interviews that celebrities still do, but used to do a lot more as, uh, in the 2000s and 2010s. And why do you think it's not as common anymore? People are just not fond of the media, not fond of speculation, and don't like to explain themselves as much. And so I think celebrities, as time has passed, have have learned that the mysterious, the vagueness, um, not confirming everything kind of helps you to your benefit than putting it all out there and confirming and denying things. Yeah, I think with social media, they can kind of control the narrative more than doing an interview. Yeah, because you've given all the power to the the interviewer slash media outlet that's showing it. They get to cut, edit, and do what they want with the footage you provide. Or a gotcha moment. I love gotcha moments. Yeah, they don't happen as much because, you know, people will walk up, walk the fuck up now. You know, they don't give a fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this one could be tentatively titled exploitive interviews you see that qu- question mark in there yeah you have to I, I don't know how to put that high pitch in there but <laughs> you, know, you don't have to i'm just i'm just bullshitting but i just wonder <laughs> no it, it needs to be in there though oh, okay well you can't put insert high pitch noise just, just the question mark maybe uh-huh. so i was thinking the other day i was just thinking about how celebrities use interviews to promote upcoming projects, speak out against important issues that might be close to them, or just clear their name after either a lot of rumors have been spread or after like a huge scandal has happened. But what happens when the interviewer starts asking the hard questions, really digging into your personal life and dives deep into those rumors and conjecture that's floating around and that ends up changing the tone of the interview. What if, you know, this interview changes the public perception of you? Is that on the celebrity for agreeing? Is that on the interview for asking the question? Is Ooh. it beneficial for both? Or is only one party really getting the benefit out of this? And those are just a couple of the questions we are going to ask after we uh, talk about two different interviews but very similar in nature all right okay do journalists and media outlets bear any responsibility on how a celebrity is looked at after a particular interview or is this par for the course in the entertainment industry i don't have all the answers but we are going to just share our opinions and let's talk about it 
And then listeners, you can decide for yourself if you view these interviews as exploitative or not. Now, enough of saying a word and not explain it. What does exploitative mean or to exploit? According to dictionary.com, exploitative comes from exploit, which means to, one, utilize, especially for profit, turn to practical account, two, to use selfishly for one's own ends, three, to advance or further through exploitation, promote. So with the definition being clear, let's jump into the first interview. Somebody who we have talked about previously, Mr. Charlie Sheen. Oh. Now, some of this is going to be a slight refresher in the beginning and in the end. But if you want to get more in detail and hear more of what we have to say about the subject slash Charlie Sheen himself, please check out our Charlie Sheen episode. Now, in the year 2010, after dealing with drug addiction issues and a domestic dispute case, the sitcom Charlie Sheen was on, Two and a Half Men, went on hiatus so Charlie could get some help via rehab of a sentencing requirement and get the rest of his personal life in order. But that did not happen exactly. Now, as Jose talked about in our Charlie Sheen episode, Charlie around this time in 2010 and 11 would do multiple interviews, especially on the radio, but it would be one of his particular interviews on March 1st, 2011, that would be the match that set off a firestorm of events leading to his dismissal from Two and a Half Men and a slight downfall in his career as an actor, but surprisingly, a rise in his relevance and popularity as a meme and caricature. Yeah, I kind of think everyone was laughing at him, though, not with him. Oh, 100%, but he didn't view it as that at the time, especially. He was just like, oh, this is money. Oh, this is attention. Everybody's with me. I mean, that's why we're going to talk about it. Well, we're not going to really delve into it, but I think that's part of the reason why he tried to do that comedy thing. So it was March 1st, 2011, and this was a ABC 2020 interview titled 2020 and Charlie's Own Words. Uh, A woman named Andrea Canny did the interview. And it has a blink if you miss it fast pace. And what I kind of mean by that is that if you are kind of, if you're trying to transcript this, if you're trying to find a deeper meaning in this interview, you're going to have to rewind several times because Charlie sometimes explains his points very fast, inserts little quips, mumbles a lot. And it's like, geez, he he's really trying to get all this out at the same damn time. Now, Charlie's talking fast, inserting jokes and quips in frequently that kind of make sense or absolutely make no type of sense, but are at least entertaining. Andrea asks if he is on drugs at this time, to which he says, I'm on a drug called Charlie Sheen. (laughs) Andrea asks the question again, asking if he at least remembers the last time that he used. He makes this vague, uh, no, I don't remember. She kind of says, you know, one week, two weeks, a month. He's like, well, yeah, maybe like a month, six weeks ago. Uh, kind of showing that this uh, recent recent sobriety is kind of new. Yeah. She even says, hey, would you take a drug test? To which he does agree. And they say it came back clean, negative, which people were making a big deal of it at the time. But I don't think it's any issue for somebody to stop doing drugs for a little bit or to be finding another substance as we know, Charlie was kind of still dibbling and dabbling in that world. 
or to even use someone else's piss or flush your system out. I mean, there's places. Oh yeah, because we honestly don't know how they administered the drug test. I mean, we yeah. know it was a urine sample, but you're right. I didn't even think about that. So then we go into some of the anti-Semitic rhetoric that Charlie was kind of speaking about when it comes to Two and a Half Men creator Chuck Lorre, who he was in a head-to-head battle of power and control with. Uh, Andrea asks, are you anti-Semitic? Charlie says no. She's like asking based off the various comments he was making on different radio shows, which I think the popularity of his interviews on, on the radio led to him having more TV interviews, specifically this one. Charlie says he's not anti-Semitic at all. She, uh, Andrea then asks, well, during this time of you dealing with these scandals and CBS and Warner Brothers halting production, did any of your celebrity friends reach out to you? And I found the list that he says very interesting because he says yes. So when saying what celebrity friends reached out, he lists Sean Penn, Mel Gibson, Colin Farrell. Now, why do you think that this is an interesting list of people, of celebrities who have reached out to Charlie Sheen. Are these like racist people? These are all people who have dealt with violent scandals and a few of them racist scandals. Yeah, like Mel Gibson's like the anti-Semitic spokesperson. A hundred percent, he's the king of it. Yeah. So I thought that was just so interesting. Yeah, you basically called it out. That's why I think it's just so crazy that those are the list of celebrities that gave you support and reached out to you during your your time of need. Yeah, birds of a feather. Yeah. I, basically, I feel like it, you're the company you keep. So those names say, say volumes to me. Now, in this interview, as has been documented, there's a lot of interesting sound bites, phrases that people still talk about to this day. Um, like he has one speed, one gear, go. <laughs> How has he survived his drug use? He has tiger blood. Um, if he's afraid of dying, dying is for fools. <laughs> just, uh, just a lot of, just a lot of quips. Uh, is it that was, one when he said he's by winning? If they asked him if he was bipolar, yes. Later in the interview, he's, <laughs> I win the, I win here, I win there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, Charlie. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Uh, just a brief a brief moment talking about how, you know something how we had talked about how celebrities uh, party real hard with drugs and alcohol and then go to the hospital and then it, they just say, oh, they were dehydrated. It was exhaustion. Yeah. So Andrea talks about how throughout the years he's been in and out of hospitals, in and out of rehab, and his publicist uh, at the time, Stan Rosenfield, would say things like, you know, He's dehydrated, sore throat, he's sick, this and that. But in reality, you know, he was he was fucked up. And she was basically like, are you, are you a, what did she say? I don't, did she, I think she said either, are you a bad client or are you a handful? And he's like, I'm an exciting client. And then the <laughs> voiceover says, well, maybe too exciting. His publicist, Stan Rosenfield, resigned the very next day. Uh. <laughs> I was like, God damn, he couldn't handle the tiger blood, I tell you. Even Stan, he could go through the 80s and 90s, but he could not stand through that. I was like, shit. Yeah, I'm sure they were all jumping ship at that point. And you got to, with the way Charlie is acting, where it's like, 
of course you're an adult, you're in control of your life, but it's like, if you want to do this and be this and be here and be there, it's like, you got to have some sort of like, you have to take some sort of guidance, guy, guy, what is it? Guidance. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I was about to say guidance. <laughs> some guidance and you got to really be able to relinquish some control, but it's like, he's very erratic. He's all over the place. He wants to make his own decisions. He wants to contradict his decisions and say what he wants. It's like, sometimes people just find that too much. And even the money can't help, which I no. know he's probably getting paid out of his ass. So if he left, he, it was stressing this man out. And I'm sorry, you said he was what? His lawyer? His publicist. His publicist? Even, yeah, this is the person just releasing statements. He ain't even going to go to court. Also, though, if you're known as Ty, not Tider, not Tider Sheen, Charlie <laughs> Sheen's publicist, and all this is bad press is out about him, they're like, oh, well, he's not that good of a publicist. So at the same time, it's like affecting oh, him. His reputation. Yeah. And you don't want just one client, and that'd be Charlie Sheen. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, at that point, like two. Two and a half men was like leaving Charlie Sheen, so there goes the money too. Dang, maybe Stan saw he he saw the door. He 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 saw the future. Rocks jumping from a sinking ship. Yep, Titanic. <laughs> so Andrea asked about some of the past de uh, domestic abuse cases slash incidents, like the one with ex-wife Brooke Mueller and the knife with the nine one one call. Um, Charlie, of course, denies that. Says he never held a knife to her. Uh, then we talked to, we, like I was a part of the interview, bitch. Then they talk about the incident with porn star Capri Anderson in the New York City hotel the year prior with him allegedly choking her and like getting mad and picking up that lamp and throwing it. He, of course, denies that, says, well, if, there, if I hurt her, there would be proof. You'd see this, you would see that, which, I mean, you can fall on either side if you want, even though there's a repeated history with Charlie Sheen and abuse from the 90s. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, Charlie then, this is the part of the interview where Charlie introduces his goddesses. This is when he was housing those two young women in his house, calling them his girlfriends, his goddesses. And they were just there with him and the kids. And it's so funny because before, like in February and January, they were having parties out at that house. They were really being wild. And so now they're in this interview and they're very toned down and they're soft-spoken and, oh, the kids are our priority. And, you know, Andrea later in the interview asks about, you know, how do y'all stay clean? How do you keep the drugs out of the house? How do you do this and that? Oh, it's easy to stay uh, sober. We just don't do that. The kids are the priority. Uh, I we love the children. We wouldn't do that stuff around here. It's like yeah, we're just doing that before. <laughs> so what changed besides the cameras? So whatever. The goddesses are Rachel Oberlin and uh, Natalie uh, Kinley. Now she asks Andrea asks a run of the mill question, like they asked all parents. And I thought the way that Charlie answered was very interesting. She just asked, "So what makes you a good father?" And he says, everything. Next question. And she tries to elaborate and says, you know, well, I asked that because I think it's important to kind of showcase that part of you, you know, the father, which, you know, if this is a one of those, I'm trying to look better in the, the limelight. Of course. Sure. Uh, Charlie says, 
I'm not going to answer that because that's between me and my kids. And I want one thing that just isn't for TMC. And I thought that was interesting because on one part, I you can find that very admirable. Like, yeah, you want to save that relationship, that special relationship you have with your children to just you and your children. Everybody doesn't have to know your business. But this is the same interview where you have your two youngest children around these quote unquote goddesses, one of which is a porn star, which is not like a slight against her, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you put your life out there, you're saying you want to keep your kids safe and everything, but you also have no problem showcasing your party lifestyle, uh, all the prostitutes you buy and have in your company and the drugs you've used in the past and how it was a great time and everything. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you think that was just like, no, he's just trying to be a private father? I don't think he's trying to be a private father. I think it's a weird question to ask, like, how you did father? Like, how do you really describe that? Like, oh, I spend time with my kids, like, every... Mm, like, there's not really a question. good answer. So, I mean, his not answer is like, like, you know, when someone asks you when you first meet them, what do you like? It's like, or what are you into? It's like, you never can remember anything. So he's probably just like, oh, I'm going to keep that private. Because, like, any answer is going to seem stupid. If he says... I'm a good father because I go get ice cream with my kids on Sundays. And they'd be like, he thinks ice cream is what makes a good father? No. Like, you know, there's there's not really a good answer there. Yeah. Okay. That's a great observation. That makes 100% more sense than what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just viewed as a lot of people ask that question. But now that you flipped it, it is a little bit of a weird question to ask because it's like, what do you say that isn't? This is a shitty person. Yeah, <laughs> or, and I'm, this is the bare minimum. Ugh. Yeah, me personally, I'm such a defensive person that if someone asks me that, I'd feel like shade. Like if someone says, "What makes you a good pet owner?" It's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? You saying I'll take care of my pets?" Mm. Like you know, I, I would get insulted. I feel like it's an insulting question. Okay, yeah, I can see that too now. Okay. But I'm sensitive. You, you're an artist, <laughs> and you sensitive about your shit. Yeah. I, next yeah. question. Next, yeah. <laughs> next passion. So, and then later in the interview, Andrea asked, well, if you could talk to Chuck Lorre and uh, say something to him, what would you say? And Charlie gives this, uh, takes this opportunity to give a, a half-ass uh, no apology, I would like to call it. One of those, he says, sorry, I offended you. <laughs> I didn't know that you were that sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> So that's funny. And then he goes from that directly talking about how he's thinking about suing CBS and Warner Bros. Uh, Warner Brothers. I pronounced it how I spelled it. Warner Bros. <laughs> um, which is something that he ended up doing. So, I mean, he was thinking about this from the start. And this is March 1st. So they hadn't even officially fired this man. But he was already on it. You know when you're about to be out the door. I mean, when you're acting wild as he was, he he could probably see the writing on the wall. You're right. Yeah. Because all the other stunts didn't get their attention like this. But, yeah, finally them shutting down and canceling the end of the season, I could see people being like, we can't keep letting this motherfucker pull the strings, which I feel is what Chuck Lorre had felt. like. And I think that's why this is tangent off of the interview, but I think that's kind of what started. It's like, Charlie had so much power. He's the star of the show. 
he's making so much fucking money. He's the face of it. You know, he's kind of why it succeeded, which as we've talked about in the Charlie Sheen episode, I don't understand two and a half minutes. <laughs> yes, you kept going back to that. I just hate that shit, but he's the face of it. He's making so much money. It's one of the highest rated shows and he keeps fucking up. He's not only abusing drugs and alcohol, but he's abusing women. He's not showing up to work. And you're the showrunner. You're the creator. You think you're in charge, but really it's the star pulling the strings. And so when Chuck and the other people took their power back, Charlie, I felt like knew that he was kind of on the outskirts and that it wasn't going to last long. But and that's why he went on this whole shitting on everybody else tour personally yeah him and chuck had some beef that i don't know if we've i don't know if it was just because he was telling charlie hey you need to get sober like i felt like at that point charlie did not want to be controlled Mm -hmm. at all yeah so then uh andrea asked charlie so what do you have to live for charlie says i have everything to live for i can't just pinpoint one thing then she See, goes, wait, hold on, back again. <laughs> what kind of question is that? Like, why don't you just say, why, why aren't you dead, Charlie? Why aren't you killing yourself? Like, what kind of, like. This is kind of like, I wish I could explain <laughs> the tone of this interview. This, it, the interview is very like, Charlie says he's sober, but we think he's about to die because of all the things he's done before and the way he's acting now. So we're going to ask him a whole bunch of uh, leading questions about his mortality and the drugs that he's done and the past abuse claims and everything else to see if this man is truly the sober person he's talking to be. Okay, you asked me sober or not, those types of questions, I'm getting mad. (laughs) What do you have to live for, Katrina? Hmm? And that's when I hit you with the... Exactly. Now that you mentioned it. Not a damn thing. <laughs> like, you, you have cracked the case. Like, okay, so he's obviously a father, so he has his kids to live for. I mean, not to defend Charlie Sheen, because he was garbage at that time. But, like, it's just it's Go just ahead. a very weird question. Charlie Sheen apologist? <laughs> Come on. It, it's just, like, that is a weird question. So I'm guessing more than Charlie, Andrea, uh, Carney, Kenny, she's on your shit list. You ain't really (laughs) fucking with her. She is not your interviewer. I, yeah, I, like, you can ask better questions of that, can't you? I mean, she could. I also could have put in maybe some of her better questions. Maybe I'm putting in all her shitty questions. Who knows? Maybe it's me. Well, I, yeah, maybe it is you. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I like how you were about to defend me, and then you said, nah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, it, it could be. I don't remember their interview. I I'm sure I watched it, but I don't remember it. Well, it sounds like then it was her, because she would have had more memorable questions. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, so Andrea asked, what does he have to live for? Charlie says everything, and he can't just pinpoint and say one thing. Then she goes into asking him, uh, I think, again, if he's afraid of dying. Um, he says, who isn't? And then he says, they say it's the greatest trip, so they save it for last. 
And then he says, yeah, I know deep. <laughs> and when I heard that, I started dying laughing because of a split second after he said, they say it's the greatest trip, so they save it for last. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ooh, you spent some real shit. <laughs> I had never heard that saying before, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I do too. Ooh, they save it for last. And then, yeah, I know, deep. <laughs> Interview as well, some other one that he did before, I think on the Today Show, because I think he did like back-to-back -back interviews. Like one day he did the Today Show, then he did this 2020 interview, or at least they aired back-to-back. -back. This and a few lit that fire that just couldn't be blown out. So March 7th, 2011, the repercussions from this interview uh, and a few other things, CBS and Warner Brothers terminate Charlie Sheen's contract. It officially ends his future association with the sitcom Two and a Half Men. And like I said before, Sheen went along with that lawsuit against CBS and Warner Bros. that ended up getting settled later that year in September, like he suggested they do, because in the interview, it was so funny. He was like, yeah, I'm going to sue him. And their best bet is that they should just settle. And so they did. I mean, you don't want your shit, your shit slinged any longer than it has to be especially when you're one of these big companies and you're fighting a big TV star. Yeah, I I wonder, what did he sue for? <laughs> I don't remember. Was it for like breach of contract? Like I, I think that I'm... was one of them. I think it was one other thing. Let's, okay, sued him for a hundred million, accusing them of breaking his contract, which paid him a reported 1.2 million an episode. The pending lawsuit and arbitration will be dismissed to as to all parties, the parties have agreed to maintain confidentiality over the terms of the settlement, meaning this motherfucker got a good amount of millions <laughs> and everybody is ashamed. So they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, even if he got one million, I mean, that's one episode. I feel like they would have to just like pay him <laughs> out like his episodes. <laughs> he got one episode payment. Uh -huh. So shortly after um, the interview and him getting fired from CBS and Warner Brothers, he ends up doing this quote unquote comedy tour called My Violent Torpedo of Truth slash Defeat is Not an Option. Depending on where you were during this tour, uh, the city, you either got one of the worst shows in history or you got a moderately okay stand up show. <laughs> <laughs> nothing out of this park but i mean let's be serious charlie sheen is not a comedian and even though i was laughing at some of these quips in the interview he still really isn't funny i think he's just gotten used to that sitcom writing and he just knows how to kind of juggle within it but he he's not a comedian <laughs> i mean some people are really good at bouncing off other people but they can't do it like just by themselves that's true. They say if you want to be a comedian, you gotta have a hot five. I got a hot thirty seconds. <laughs> so, yeah, the the tour was very high, lowish. His goddesses ended up leaving them one by one. I think they said Rachel Oberlin left first in April, and then Natalie left in June. So, not very far apart, and not very soon after introducing them to the world. No, it, it yeah, it was a very it was a torpedo. It was. He didn't have an option of defeat. So he does get a couple of highs for a small moment. 
He ends up getting a Comedy Central roast in 2011, I think in the month of September. It was one of the highest rated roasts at that time. Honestly, one of the better roasts. It kind of was hilarious. I ain't gonna lie. I don't like all the roasts, but I'd say the Charlie Sheen one's like top five. Okay. Then in 2012, he came back to TV in the show Anger Management on FX to record-breaking numbers. I mean, a premiere that FX had never fucking seen. But unfortunately, the ratings and the audience didn't last because they did cancel Anger Management after 100 episodes. Then, in more serious news, four years after the interview in 2015, Charlie Sheen reveals that he is HIV positive and he had been for years previously. He said he got diagnosed around four years ago. That would probably put him at 2011. And then just because I don't want to get too much into recapping the episode, if you want to get more into what happened after as well as more of his uh, career in the beginning, just go back to our Charlie Sheen episode. Jose did a wonderful job, a lot of detail. And let's answer some questions. Okay. Now, Jose, do you yes. think this was an exploitative interview? No. I I don't really see any interviews really as exploitative, besides the ones with teenagers. I see those, but mm. most so, of the time they're mutually beneficial. Okay. Well, the, you you kind of went into my next question. We'll skip one. Did both parties see benefit, either short-term or long-term, from this interview, or did just one benefit? I mean, the news station got their ratings, so they benefited. Mm -hmm. And Charlie, his whole thing was to talk shit about Chuck, and at that point, kind of not lose custody of his kids. So, I mean, it served his point, too. It, Maybe not well, because he was acting erratic on there, but I'm saying he did pass a drug test. It's like mm -hmm. a win for him. So maybe they both benefited, but Charlie more in the short term. Because yeah, it, but I mean, it, it was biting Char in the ass. It was Charlie's doing. Exactly. Okay. And if this particular, the one I'm talking about now, not any other one, but if this particular interview did not exist, would your opinion of Charlie Sheen be different? No. All right. All right. I kind of feel the same about what you said. I, with the, with the slight difference, which, let me ask you this. So, do you think that uh, no interviews can be exploitative, with the exception of teenagers, because celebrities are giving their permission to be interviewed? Is that why you see it like that? Celebrities do these interviews because they need press for whatever they're doing, or they need to tell their side of the story. Mm -hmm. So I don't see that as exploitive. Okay. I just wanted to know. All right. Now, if, if Charlie was saying, I'm going to do this interview and I want to talk about X, Y, Z, and they agree on it, and then they go and, you know, flip the script while he's there trying to trick him or something, mm -hmm. then I believe that's wrong. But also at the same time, if he's in this middle of a scandal, he has to know it's going to come up. So, not really. I mean, it's done. I just, they're doing their job, the reporters. Some do it better than others. Mm, that's okay. Bonus question. So, Andrea, uh, Kenny, good interviewer? From the 
questions you pointed out, no. <laughs> like if I could just imagine if I was being asked that as soon as that mic was off, I would be like, that bitch has some nerve asking me those questions. Like, <laughs> That's a hot mic. Like, you know, okay, like for instance, the Jane Good not Jane Goodall, Jane Fonda and Maiden Cowley interview where she mm-hmm. has about plastic surgery. Yes. That would have been me. That should have been Charlie too. that's funny okay all right let's go to the next one now on to our next and final notable interview is that another one already covered no but i will be limiting like I, i won't really talk about most of what happened after this interview just because she deserves her own episode honestly yes and this one's just the interview This is just the interview. So purely interviews we're talking about. Now to our final notable interview. We're talking about a woman with the voice of a generation. Our every woman, even though she just did the cover. Miss Whitney Houston. (laughs) Okay. Now on November 7th, 2002, Whitney Houston sat down with journalist Diane Sawyer for an interview. It was down in Atlanta in the house that Whitney and Bobby just paid for and were moving into that particular day. Now, I think based off what were the main topics of discussion in this interview, this would be, of course, a big interview. Like this would be an important interview that a lot of people would have watched during this time. But I think with time, the revolution of the Internet, this interview ended up becoming honestly iconic. I mean, Charlie Sheen's interview spawned memes and all that other shit, but I I think this one has it beat by a mile. Really? Just with just with a few quotes, Whitney just just solidified herself into history. I mean, yeah, besides I, what she actually already did with history. <laughs> I, I do think Charlie's was more like at the moment type of hype, and Whitney's has had more of a Yeah, hers has legs. His was just like 2011 to 2012. Nobody's really saying winning anymore. It's more like a a time capsule type of situation. Like, remember that year when we were fucking saying tiger's blood? (laughs) And Adonis DNA. When we come to the interview, Miss Diane Sawyer and her voiceover are talking about, like how I said, Whitney is the voice of her generation. But after the years of speculation about her drug use, the violence in her marriage, and her count, her canceling uh, multiple like concerts slash um, appearances, that she's finally sitting down doing a tell-all interview, and she's setting the record straight. I always loved how they said that shit on interviews. She's here's blankety blank, and they're here to set the record straight. Okay. I I do love when they say that. So. <laughs> Uh, The first topic of conversation is the Michael Jackson 30th celebration that was aired on VH1. Whitney Houston came out during the tribute doing a cover of Wanna Be Starting Something, and she visibly looked very, very skinny. You want to look at a picture of it real quick? Okay, yeah, I see the the collarbone and kind of... And the arms. I mean, all her kind of chest bones are... Kind of out. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, they start talking about that appearance and uh, Diane Sawyer shows her a photo of that, you know, and wants her to discuss it. Whitney, when she takes the picture in her hand, she says, well, this is a bad shot. And Diane's like, well, it might be a bad shot, but you that's that's how thin you look. And, you know, Whitney says, well, first of all, I'm naturally thin. You know, I'm five, seven. And I will never be fat. Let's get that straight. Whitney Houston will never be fat. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Let me let me just start by saying this. I know this was a serious interview and they were talking about some serious issues, but sometimes Whitney was just unintentionally hilarious. It's not even like her fault. She wasn't even trying to be. It's just like, I'm just laughing at just the things she said and how she said it. In the beginning, when Diane says that she's dangerously thin, Whitney says, well, how would you know? Diane says, no, you know. And Whitney Houston says, thank you, and puts the picture back in her lap. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that interview so much because there is a point where you can just see in Whitney's like eyes that she's over and she does get more on like the defensive. Oh, 100%. I thought she was over in the beginning when she started like coughing and rolling her eyes. I was like, damn, it just started Whitney. <laughs> I just remember that scene that you were saying right there where the picture, she's like, I'm skinny. What do you mean? I'm skinny. Mm-hmm. She's like, but you're really skinny, like bones here. And yeah, exactly. she was pointing her the- it out. Giving her back the picture was like, okay, we're done with that. It was such, <laughs> just, oh, you're well, dangerously uh, thin. How would you know? Well, I don't. We, you. <laughs> before we move on, how do you feel about that question in general? The asking about weight, since like that, you know, Ariana Grande right now. I feel like that's happening to her. Yes. And yes. Nowadays, you know, they're like, don't ask people about their weight if, you know, they lost weight, they gained weight. Like, it's not it's not your business. I think that... I think that it, asking somebody their weight slash asking or accusing them of being bulimic or anorexic has always been a shitty thing to do across the board. But... In the 2000s, with a lot of the teen stars we had, a lot of the actors and singers that we had, the alcohol and drug culture, I think it was more so accepted to ask in an interview um, of this type of magnitude. I still think it was rude. I still don't think it's a question that should be asked because if, I mean, if if you're doing drugs, you're doing drugs. If you're on alcohol, you're alcohol. I'm not about to sit there and and speculate on what else could be wrong with you just based off your weight and be wrong or be right. You're not ready to deal with that. That's this. It's crazy to put a spotlight on it either way. I think what most people that defend that would say would be that they're doing it out of concern. And I think if it's out of concern, it should be done in private. I don't think that that I don't agree with. Like it should not be in a public setting where you're asking them about their weight. Yeah, because if it's already speculation, it's going to become more. It's going to be worse. And as someone who, my weight has fluctuated a lot, ups and downs, ups and downs. I hate either comment. I hate, you know, people saying you're losing weight or I don't want, I I just don't want people commenting on my weight either which way. It's like, it's none of your business. Like, unless you're paying for my food, it's not your business. 
I understand completely. And, and, and everybody keeps bringing up Chadwick Bozeman. Like, I thought y'all would have learned y'all lesson when you saw it publicly. I thought y'all would have stopped doing this. Yeah. And it's like, no, nah, even more so, I feel like people just feel so more emboldened to ask. But I'm I'm glad that Ariana spoke out. And I'm ho- hopefully other celebrities speak out and just put it into this whole talking about people's weight, asking how much they weigh. And are you anorexic? Are you dealing with something? But early 2000s, yeah, it was, if you were skinny, they were calling you anorexic, which most people were, most celebrities were very thin at that point. That's what was trending. That was the look. Which is funny that, you know, your body type is trending. But on the other hand, it's like, if they're not skinny, they're being called fat. Mm. And then you got to defend why you're healthy at your size. It's just uh, ever, it just never stops. Yeah, it's like, don't. Don't talk about someone's weight. It's just stupid. I agree. Now, uh, Diane goes through a list of things. She says anorexia. Whitney says no. Bulimia. Whitney says no. Drugs. Whitney says no. Says no to all of them. But I noticed that after she says drugs, after Diane says drugs and Whitney Houston says no, Diane just looks down at her and holds her stare like I don't believe you like mm-hmm. it was the way that after anorexia and bulimia it was like okay what I'll take that no but when she said no to drugs Diane was like hmm are you sure about that and then after Diane holds her stare for a little bit Whitney you know says no but she's like don't get me wrong I've partied before which we kind of know what celebrities mean when they say they've partied before. Basically that they've dabbled in the alcohol and drug uh, lifestyle, but they don't want to say explicitly so what drugs and when and where and why. Yeah, I mean, recreational drugs are different than using them every day. Yeah, but everybody's going to say that they use just re- recreationally because they don't want to say that they're addicts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when he says, well, you know, don't get me wrong, I've partied before. She says, especially when I was going through stuff. And she said, you know, my eating habits also weren't good during those times. So when you combined all those things, of course, I'm not going to look my best or I'm not going to look I'm going to look skinny and stuff like that. So um, then Diane reads a rumor, uh, I guess a headline of a rumor says, quote, crack rehab fails. To which Whitney delivers one of her most famous quotes. Starts off saying, first of all, let's get one thing straight. Crack is cheap. I make too much money to even smoke crack. Let's get that straight, okay? We don't do crack. We don't do that. Crack is whack. And to this day, I always hear that in my head. And I'll never do crack. It's fucking whack. Uh-huh. Why would I, you? I, I, I just tell myself I make, me, I make too much money to do that. You make too much money to smoke crack, okay? <laughs> smoke crack. Then they go through Whitney's humble beginnings. You know how um, Sissy Houston is her mother, who is a famous gospel artist, and she also was the choir director of their church. And uh, Whitney sang in the choir, and it was one of the first places that she sang. How she got her big break, Clive Davis signing all the Grammys, you know, so-and-so, just, you know, that great story career that Whitney had. So going in from that, Diane gets into some of, especially the most recent, like one to two years ago, some of Whitney's cancellations and some of the contradictions slash, you know, vague answers about them. 
So uh, one of the cancellations was a Clive Davis tribute. So the story was that Clive Davis was pushed out or fired from Arista Records, and they were going to celebrate him by having a tribute, and Whitney missed it. She didn't show up. And, you know, Whitney was one of Clive Davis's, like, scores, like his, his, his main girl, I think up until maybe he discovered Alicia Keys and stuff like that. So uh, Diane asked Whitney about that. And first she goes into how, you know, she cared about Clive and how she was upset when she found out that he was gone, how she just, they just said one day he was just gone. But then Diane redirects her to the tribute and says, well, you didn't show up to that. And Whitney says, well, you know, that reason is between me and him. So she doesn't give a reason for that one. Then Diane brings up the 2000 uh, Academy Awards. Apparently she was supposed to be part of this like big number medley with a whole bunch of other uh, singers and entertainers. But she, at the time, it's so funny. And Diane mentions it too. At the time it was like she had a sore throat or whatever. Even I even came across the old New York, uh, New York Post it says, uh, the, the headline is, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Which is so, so common, but I just, I like it. And so they were talking about, so New York Post says, you know, pop diva Whitney Houston claims that she backed out of the Oscars because of a sore throat. But people are saying it's actually because she messed up her songs in rehearsal. Apparently, one of the music directors who, uh, was Burt Bacharach, who R.I.P. actually just died recently, but who I know the most from is the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, apparently, Burt Bacharach was the music director for the Academy Awards this year, and when it came to the rehearsals in Whitney Houston, he was basically saying that she wasn't pulling her weight. Uh, I guess the first rehearsal day, she wasn't there. Like mentally, it sounds like she she wasn't there as far as like present and um, and that she was not really giving her all. And then the second rehearsal day, uh, she was described as being discombobulated and she got two of her cues wrong and sang the wrong song on one. And so after all that, Bert just dismissed her, like told her this isn't going to work out. You got to leave. And they ended up getting who was they? Faith Hill to replace her. I'm surprised they didn't just have her like lip sync or maybe she wasn't down with that. I think that was not the time that they were really into doing that. I think this was a medley where everybody was expected to actually sing. So maybe they just didn't have that in place for her as well as maybe her and the Academy was like, well, you know, Whitney Houston is known for her voice. So if she's there, she's, she's going to sing. Yeah. That's what the New York Post says is the reason why she actually didn't perform. Whitney says uh, to Diane that Burke Bacharach fired her because she had bronchitis and, you know, wasn't feeling well. And she asked for an additional day and he wasn't having it. And I was like, hmm, unfortunately, I don't know if I believe you, Whitney. <laughs> I mean, Whitney has such a horrible history of missing stuff or being late like it was talked in the jennifer lewis book reread as well like a instance there but at the same time the new york post is kind of garbage exactly so it's like do they have a good source 
or they just making up things based off her already kind of downhill reputation. Either way, it, I could see either way. Mm-hmm. Now, Whitney says some of her behavior stems from when she's not doing good, maybe like feeling depressed or when she's dealing with stress. And when she's in those moods and dealing with that stuff, she doesn't eat and that affects her, which that doesn't sound good. And that's also another reason why rumors can be spread like that. Like I, but I also, I don't want to say this, but just knowing what we know now, I do think that could be true, but I also think it was kind of like a built-in excuse. Yeah. So then we dive into her marriage with Bobby Brown. And even though we kind of know Bobby's history with the law and stuff and with drugs and alcohol, the voiceover introducing him, it it paints the picture of how they want us to see Bobby. They talk about him being from the mean streets of Boston, him being a bad boy and singing a a raunchy style of R&B. So it's already kind of painting it like, oh, they come from two different sides of the tracks and you know, he could have been the one who influenced her. You know, he's been in and out of jail and dealing with drugs and alcohol where uh, Whitney just stays by his side. You know, saying sound bites like that, it just paints the picture of how you want us to view it. Which I've only been a Whitney. I've only been a Whitney fan from like a distance. But that is something I've heard repeatedly is that Bobby was a bad influence and... Pretty much everyone always blaming him that it was all his fault. Yeah, me too. I'm not mad at the description because they at least gave Bobby the chance to speak. It wasn't like they said all this and they cut him out the interview. So Uh, at least they gave him a little time. But it does like it's like they're trying. Nobody can be absolved. Everybody has to be responsible and take accountable, take accountability for their actions. And I don't think it's fair that over the, the decades that Bobby Brown has kind of gotten this unfair rap of like tainting and sullying Whitney Houston, which people being addicts shouldn't be looked at as like you being tainted or turned. Like it should be seen as what it is. It's a disease. It's a sickness. It's something that you have to have help to deal with. And no one person gets you like that and keeps you like that. With them introducing him that way, Mm-hmm. The way you described, do you think it was wrong to do it that way? As far as my morals, yes. But if I'm a journalist, I I probably, it's a little snaky, but I see it. I don't think it's wrong. I think, yeah. But as a human the- being, I think, no, nah, that, that's, that's a little fucked up. I think that was his reputation. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, to I don't... be fair, they were just branching off of something that was already being told. Yeah. So when uh, Diane uh, Sawyer starts talking about how Whitney and Bobby met at a club and, you know, them getting married and sticking together, she asks, what do you love about Bobby? And like, how'd you get with them? And Whitney says, you know, she loves Bobby uh, because he was smooth, sexy, and a gentleman and, and a very nice guy. Diane then uh, segues into asking if he's ever hit her. She says no, but she does say that I've hit him out of anger. Which Why would she say that? I think what? I was about to say that was a choice. That was a choice. <laughs> hold, hold on. 
were there rumors of Bobby hitting Whitney? Yes, there was. Okay. There was uh, rumors because of a couple different big like blowout parties that they would either have in hotels or at the houses and either rumors would come out in the newspapers like Bobby and Whitney's wild night in NYC, their violent night, uh, this, this, and that. Like rumors would come out about them having these big violent fights. And so that's when the rumor of Bobby Brown being violent to Whitney Houston would start to begin. Okay, yeah, I can't be mad at her for asking for that question though, but that is a very weird thing for Whitney to say. Yeah, I wouldn't have admitted that. (laughs) It almost makes me believe that when someone responds like that, it makes me believe that they are, they have been hit. Because that's in a, that's the response that sometimes somebody who's being abused does in a relationship. Like, oh, they don't hit me. They don't do anything to me. In fact, I've done things to them. I've hurt them. Yeah. Like that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bobby comes into the room. Uh, you know, it's Diane and Whitney. You know, Diane is in this chair. Uh, Whitney's in this, like, couch chair. They're sitting across from each other, but... Outside of the camera's view is another couch, and Bobby comes into the room and sits on that couch. And as he comes into the room, Diane is asking Whitney if Bobby is jealous of her. Whitney ends up answering sometimes, to which Bobby interjects and says no. And then she changes her answer and says, well, you know, sometimes I'm jealous of him. You know, it goes both ways. She was a little messy for that question. Oh, 100%. I don't know if she knew, because it was the voiceover, Diane, who says, you know, as I'm asking Whitney this question, I see somebody slip into the room. So either way, it it was a good... um, Do you believe that? Do you believe that he slipped into the room? Or do you think they had it planned where she says, after I ask this question, have him walk in. So he walks in with me asking Whitney this question. Hmm. Hmm. I think that was planned. That is a possibility. I was thinking more of the other way, kind of unfortunately painting painting Bobby Brown as kind of like the the uh, person in control. Like Bobby wanted to be around during Whitney's interview, and as they start diving into the marriage, because this is when they're starting talking about him and her together, he started to get closer and closer to. Eventually, he was like, "Let me let me be right next to them, but not be seen." Because he didn't join them until Diane went after they had that back and forth of, you know, is Bobby jealous? She says sometimes he says no. And then she says, well, you know, I'm jealous of him sometimes. You know, it's both ways. Then Diane turns and says, well, you know, come on, Bobby, join. Get on the get on the couch with her. You're telling me with all those producers and, you know, camera people that still on slip in. I think they weren't going to stop him from slipping in. He's Bobby Brown, her her husband. But like I said, I'm not saying what you're saying isn't plausible. That actually sounds right, too. Like you want to have a, like you said, a gotcha moment or a little BTS moment. So, yeah. Hey, have Bobby hover and then right around this time, send him in. That That's yeah. a good plan, too. I ain't going to lie. Yeah, because, I mean, that makes sense to me because it would be, Asking Whitney that, why not ask Bobby that? Why not ask, is he jealous? Instead of saying, do you think he's jealous? Mm, Okay. Well, she does end up doing that. But yeah, you make a good point. I just know, and it's going to make me sound bad. Back in the day when I used to start shit because I was bored, that would be like a leading question I would ask people. (laughs) Are you jealous? jealous? Just like that, or 
do you think you're smarter than, or, or who do you think smarter, Katrina, me or you, or you know, say a third friend? You did used to do shit like that, though. Yeah, I've, I'm growing. Are <laughs> <laughs> you? I'm trying. <laughs> it, it, it slips out sometimes. But I'm like, no, mm. no, no, never mind. Well, Jose, what do you have to live for? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Diane gets him on the couch next to Whitney, and then she her next question is, why is their marriage so turbulent? Talking about the headlines and the rumors about them. You know, Bobby answers and says, you know, marriage, I think, is turbulent, which, you know, I, I ain't mad at that answer. It's a good, vague answer because it's like marriage is hard, but it's like we ain't talking about just that. <laughs> <laughs> So then Diane asks uh, Bobby straight to his face, have you ever hit her? He shakes his head while saying no many times. Like, no, 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 no. Then he goes and lists all the women in his life, you know, his mother, his sisters, his aunts, his daughter now, and how he would never lift a hand to them. He even points to Whitney and says, you know, well, this is mine. So, you know, never. I would can't have that. Which is interesting. Okay. It's one of those. It's the, it's the domestic answer to the, to the question of I have, no. It's yes yeah, the the domestic version of I have many black friends. <laughs> I have yeah. this many women in my life, so I could never be an abuser. That's a cop out answer, Bobby. But whatever. Then Diane starts going into some of the legal issues he's had how he was pulled over for speeding and drunk drive, arrested and pulled over for tickets and possession of marijuana and so-and-so. And, you know, Bobby says that he does drink and smoke uh, marijuana occasionally, but not very often. He talks about how he uh, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and that marijuana, especially back in the day, was something that he used a lot to help him deal with the ups and downs of it. And he said, but now it's kind of like a every once in a while thing. He's not, he doesn't do that all the time. He, what he said, he said, uh, it's not an everyday thing. It might be a every other, every other day thing, but it's not every, everyday thing, <laughs> which I was like, that's not how you tell somebody that you only drink and smoke occasionally, <laughs> <laughs> but I see what you're trying to do. And he was, he was being honest, at least regarding that he wasn't going to, play in their face too much. I mean, he, the marijuana, the possession of marijuana uh, arrest happened the day of the interview. So it wasn't a lot of hiding he could do on that one. Oh, okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So then Diane talks about, I guess, on one of the arrests, he did test positive for cocaine. Bobby disputes this. He says what they uh, said is I was, te I tested positive for a cocaine substance and he starts saying it could have been aspirin it could have been this it could have been that it, it wasn't exactly cocaine which another cop-out answer when you've been if you test positive for cocaine you test positive for cocaine yeah like I, was... I, I mean there could be like some something we're missing where there's some other drug that has a low amount of cocaine in it Crap. but i think i'm pretty <laughs> shut up it did i know but shut up but I'm pretty positive if, if you were positive for cocaine, you you just don't want to cop to it right now. I mean, Advil's not I mean, to give you a positive cocaine test. 
So that doesn't make sense to me. That's what I'm saying is that he was just listing medicines that, you know, people get in trouble for because they look like something else, but they're not that whatever. Okay. I just think that this is indicative. This whole interview is indicative of both Whitney and Bobby being in a place where they're trying to come clean with some of their past, uh, funny word, exploits, but they don't, they, they can't come to terms with who they are and what they're doing right now. We won't see them be honest about everything for years. I mean, a whole other decade, honestly. Well, I mean, that's almost a decade. That's kind of the thing we're at it, though. Like, you're, they always say, like, if they tell you they only have one or two drinks a day, that means mm-hmm. they have more. Or yeah. So if he's, you know, admitting to this stuff, then there's more. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I was going to kind of talk about this more at the end, but I'll say it now, is that I kind of thought at the end, this, I mean, at the beginning, this was described as, you know, Whitney is tired of the rumors. She's tired of the conjecture. She's tired of everybody telling her what she's doing and what's going on. She wants to sit down and have this interview and set it all straight as she just wanted to deal with those last few year rumors. She wasn't ready to talk about what was going on presently in her life. And I got to say the rest of it, but basically I just feel like she just didn't know what the future would hold for her and how kind of important and impactful this interview would turn out to be in the later years. I'm really surprised she would do that interview though. I don't know (laughs) what positive she could have got from that i don't know she also was promoting i don't know she wasn't really promoting it but they did talk about how you know her her newest album is coming out soon and she the last album she had put out was like four years prior so she was also entering a new quote-unquote like era of her music so that makes sense to me so So i think it was like one of those i'm trying to wrap everything in a pretty bow so we can move on into the next stuff and y'all can stop saying I have the drug habit. Yeah, because if she's about to do a new album in this new phase, then she's going to have to do promotion for it. So that mm-hmm. makes sense that she would do this big interview, get all these rumors out the way, and then she can move forward just promoting the album. Yep. Oh, and if just if you do want to know, it, uh, the listeners, it was the Just Whitney album. Which I don't know if that spawned any like big hits, but that was the album that she was coming out with that year. We are back with Just Whitney. Bobby has gone. And uh, Diane brings up another headline. Says $730,000 drug habit. Whitney says, of course, her her next most famous quote. Come on, 730. I wish. Whoever is making that money off me, I wish they would share it with me. No way. No way. I want to see the receipts from the drug dealer. I bought $730,000 of drugs from. I want to see the receipts. (laughs) It's, you know, I, I just saw that clip recently, her saying, I want to see the receipts. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why I didn't connect it that it was the same interview. Oh, how did you not? (laughs) I don't know. It was just like that one small clip of her saying, I want to see the receipts. And that became iconic. Uh-huh. Everybody says when you were cute, bitch, where's the receipts at? Yeah. <laughs> Show me the receipts. Whitney created something she didn't even know. 
Now, Winnie does admit that in her past that she uh, had dealt with drugs and alcohol. She had abused them prior. And then when Diane asks, because she lists a whole, a whole bunch of things, she says, you know, heroin, cocaine, alcohol. And uh, she says, who's the biggest devil of all of them? And Whitney says, me, myself, because Ooh, it's my answer. decision. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> like I'll tell me for you. Not too, yeah, <laughs> not too clapping it up. So everybody says me. <laughs> that's yeah. That was the number one answer. That was that's number one, one answer. Ain't this shit? Which it shows a like some of the work that Whitney has done. Like I said, you see glimpses of like who I guess she kind of wants to, who she's who she's kind of pretending to be with some of the ways that she she expresses herself. And she's very soft spoken. And she talks like she wants a future and that she's going to be around for a while. But it's just, you know, watching it is heartbreaking because you just you just know the story. It really is. As much as iconicness is in there, mm-hmm. it is a heartbreaking interview to watch back just because of how it does end. And this is, you know, her trying to turn it around a little bit. And yeah. if you've ever really dealt with someone who's an addict, it kind of just rubs off of how they talk, too. Mm. So Whitney says that she's the biggest devil because it's her decision and it's her fault and I think that her kind of putting all the blame on her is one of the reasons why it was a problem in her past and why it kind of kept being a problem for her because, yeah, she, you do have to be accountable for your actions, but you need people to reach out for. You still need help and all that. So it's not all to blame on her. She has a team. She has people watching out for her that kind of maybe aren't watching out for her. And as well as I think there's a certain like, shame and embarrassment to only cop to the past drug use and abuse, but not anything now because you don't want to be seen as still weak and going through things or still having that quote unquote, like handicap. You're better now. You've moved on. You're that's behind you. You know, everybody wants to look like they're coming out of the other side. Nobody wants to look like they're still in the thick of it. So as we know, after this interview, Whitney continued to struggle with drugs and alcohol. She said she wasn't addicted to anything, but she had a quote unquote bad habit, which can be broken. Um, Unfortunately, with the hindsight that we all have, we can all see that Whitney was an addict, but she just wasn't ready to admit it and to fully deal with it. You know, uh, being an addict is a disease and it's not that easily broken. And you can't just like toss that quote unquote habit and forget about it. There's always things that you're going to have to deal with in your life that will help you either move on to each day as a sober individual or that could ultimately hinder you and make you backslide. Towards the interview, when talking to Whitney, Diane asks her, how do you know that those dark days that uh, you spoke about are behind you. And this part is kind of sad. Whitney says, quote, I am not self-destructive. I am not a person who wants to die. I'm a person that has life and wants to live, always have. It's heartbreaking as we just talked about, because as we know, Whitney unfortunately did go on to pass away 
February 11, 2011, after her decades battle with, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. And it came the day before the Grammys. And it was just a shock when it happened in real life. And it just hits you again. Well, it hit me specifically after watching this interview and hearing her speak those words, just knowing how she met her end and how unfortunate it was and how talented she was and how unfortunately throughout her years going forward, dealing with her addiction, she was constantly reminded about this interview in which she vehemently denied that she had a problem. Yeah, it's it's very sad and unfortunately it's not uncommon when you're addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I feel like she knew, you know, Whitney Houston's great, she's a legend. She, and she knew that and she knew that these drugs were pretty much destroying that legacy, destroying her being able to perform. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she wanted to overcome that and sadly she was not able to. Yeah. So let's go back to our questions. Was this interview exploitative? No. Did both parties see a benefit short-term or long-term from this interview or just one? Let me walk that back. Mm, That's question one. Which one? Which one? Question one. Okay, so was was this interview exploitative? I think the part that does seem exploitative to me is asking about her weight. That that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Um, The rest of it, asking if she's on drugs, asking about the headlines, asking about missing performances, no, just because sometimes during interviews that I watch, I'm like, why didn't you ask this question? Why didn't you want ask that question? And she asked the, the questions that people wanted to know at the time. Yes. And uh, a lot of the time, you think the reason the reporters or journalists don't ask those questions because they could possibly ruin that um, connection, that bond they have with that celebrity. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. know if they ask these questions, they're most likely never going to go back to them for an interview. That too. That used to be like a big, like, sticking point for how people did their interviews they wanted those people to come back you're right yeah yeah and if so no bad blood like i don't think it's exploitative but besides asking about her weight but i guess that just leads into the drugs so i don't know i don't know okay. i'm gonna say no though i'm sort of saying no but I'm i just want to expand no, on but it you, the only uh insert you'll put is that you just didn't like that weight question yeah so, second question, if, no, oh, yeah, second question, did both parties see benefit short-term or long-term from this interview or just one? I think Whitney thought she was going to see it, but she did not. I think that was her intention of doing the interview since she said it was right before an album. Mm-hmm. And definitely Barbara got benefit. Dying. <laughs> Oh, wrong, wrong, wrong white woman uh, journalist. Oh, it's because I was thinking this whole time of, are you that bitch? <laughs> <laughs> the Mariah Carey interview. I was like, are you going to bring this one up? <laughs> hilarious. Oh my gosh. And then the whole, I didn't know she sang. I thought she rapped. <laughs> Just rapping. Okay. All right. I agree. I definitely agree. I think that Whitney saw this as an opportunity to clean her slate, 
to go on with uh, answering her questions and not be bogged down by this. But unfortunately, it only benefited Diane by her doing a, like a, 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 a good interview. And Whitney kind of was seen as somebody who maybe wasn't ready to come to terms with all the stuff she was dealing with, unfortunately. Yeah, and like we said, the interview is iconic, but I don't think Whitney wanted that. No, of... not in that way. Definitely. Yeah. Now, I have uh, the same third question as I had the last, but I do have a, a, a B uh, part to it. So first part is, you know, if this particular interview did not exist, this particular interview, all that it encompasses, did not exist, wiped it off the world, would your opinion of Whitney be different? I think so. I think it would be. I think the crack is the crack is whack. Definitely put that on my radar. I don't know if I would have really known that much. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I think so. Now for, for me the, at least. Okay. Now for the B part. If this particular interview does not exist in the world, does Whitney's reputation? stay the way it was before with just rumors or does everybody still think that she's just a hardcore drug addict after the interview still notwithstanding because you know after i mean whitney was called a crackhead she was called you know so many derogatory things whether she was dealing with the addiction or not she should have got some grace but they were really digging into Whitney, especially after this interview and especially after she, she, she got caught up. So does society change if this is, if this interview never happens? It, it does change because this was like an itemized of all her kind of scandals and folks in this interview. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it would have maybe, I, I don't know. I feel like, it does change because before it's just rumors. Nothing's really confirmed. And here, her talking about it, people are like, I don't believe her. What? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it, she did not come off good in the interview at all. I agree. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Just one of those things where you think you're doing it for the good of yourself and your career, but time just changes things. It does. Now, that is where we kind of come to the end of my episode. I will just say that. You know, uh, my sources came from the New York Post, ABC News, and Dictionary.com, but I did watch both of these interviews on YouTube. And as you know, we didn't go through start to finish. There are little segments I did leave out. So if you find yourself curious and you want to watch both of these interviews, go to YouTube and the Whitney Houston one is Whitney Houston ABC primetime special edition with Diane Sawyer 2002 and the Charlie Sheen interview is segmented into parts on a account called give peace a chance 2009 and it's Charlie Sheen interview part one through six HQ so if you find yourself more curious and wanting to watch it for yourself kind of see what we're talking about take a look all right off the top of your head, besides these two, do you have a favorite celebrity interview? You just made me think of the Mariah Carey one. That's the only one I can think <laughs> of right now. And I feel like I definitely do. Or just a, a more a crazy interview moment was the Mindy Kaling, uh, George 
Snuffleupagus. I know that's not his last name. I just can't pronounce it. It was when they were talking about Inside Out. And he was like, yeah, it really feels like you're in the mind of this 10-year-old little girl. Or no, it feels like you're really inside this 10-year-old girl. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> there. I have moments more than I have like full interviews I like. Yeah, there's a lot of interviews I do love. I love almost all Mariah Carey's interviews just because she's such a diva, so shady. Oh, and yeah. Just so extra that it really works for her. So any Mariah Carey interview, but especially the ones, I think it's with Andy Cohen. I love <laughs> those. And I had another one. Huh, it's gone. It's gone. <clears throat> yeah, it's gone. Oh, Okay. The one I really, really used to love. It's a funny one. It's <laughs> Nikki Vanal. She's doing an interview, I think, on a, the Breakfast Club. Or she's somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they asked her about her rap Barbie dreams. And she's like, but why would you have to call him Special Ed? And she's like, wasn't he in Special Ed? <laughs> and she just starts laughing. And <laughs> Damn. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just a funny interview. That's cold. <laughs> I saw a, a Nicki Minaj moment, uh, interview moment that made me laugh. Uh, it was like one of her old ones where she's in the blonde wig and she's in the pink suit and uh, she's speaking to somebody about something and then they go to a wide shot and she has slippers and she, they were like, so how do you blah, 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 or whatever. And she was just like, well, I do this, this. And then she just stops and she says, I just saw the wide shot. I didn't know you guys were going to get these. And she's just bopping her feet with her little Hello Kitty slippers. That about wraps up this episode, except we like to end each episode with a piece of media that we like to talk about, shine a light on, shit on recently. And do you want to go first? Um, I can read Trisha's first. Oh, we have a media, ladies and gents. We have our media, and she sent it in right before we started recording. And non-ladies and non-gents. Yes. Okay, so Trisha said, Jose and Katrina, I hope I'm not writing this too late. I wanted to share my media for the week. It's the movie The Reading. I really don't enjoy scary movies, but my siblings talked me into watching it with them. The star Monique did an excellent job of making sure I was convinced for days. I saw her face when I blinked. The plot was incredibly unexpected, and I felt the movie was very well written. I know Jose has some mixed feelings about Monique, rightfully so, but I did really enjoy her in this movie. Not Always rightfully so. You don't even know. Fuck that. I, I, I'm glad she put rightfully so. <laughs> I forgot about that movie, but I do want to watch it. I do, too. You haven't seen it yet? No, I want to, though. Trisha wouldn't yeah. let me watch it with her. <laughs> she, like she said, she ain't fucking with it no more. <laughs> yeah, so I, I forgot about it, but I'm going to put that on my list. because I remember seeing it, the trailer or something, and mm. I did want to watch it. Okay. <sighs> my your turn. I'll go. I can go. I know mine. I feel like mine's stupid, so I want to just get it over with. It's a song, as usual. Ooh. So uh, it's two Doja Cat songs. Um, recently, Doja Cat was like on Twitter saying, "I, you know, I agree with what a lot of y'all were saying. Most of my 
raps were like corny and mid and all that other stuff and how she's like going to bring the fire this time, which first of all, actually is three. Well, two and a half. She's on the remix of Kill Bill, the SZA song. And let me tell you, I don't like Kill Bill, but I like the remix with Doja Cat. She's really? great. She makes the song better. And so I might not download Kill Bill, the original, but I'll download the remix. And then I was just revisiting, what is it? Planet Planet Woman? Is that what it's called? Let me see if I actually know what this is. I think it's Planet Her. Is it Planet Her? Oh, it's Planet Her. But she has a, she has a song called Woman. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I got that confused. <laughs> um, and so I was just revisiting that album, which is a, is a decent album. I should definitely listen to more of it. And I just like uh, get into it. Because that's a hilarious song and it's catchy. And then uh, Need to Know was all over TikTok, but I only knew the chorus. But the whole song is great, too. So I've just been revisiting Doja Cat. Still got moved, you know, on repeat because I fucking love that song. But, you know, I just feel like she wasn't giving herself enough credit. Or maybe she was just trying to get everybody hyped for the new her. But um, I, I enjoy Doja Cat's music. I think she's very talented. I think people who don't want to label her as a rapper slash singer are just hating because she can do both. I don't think she's just more of one if she incorporates both into her music. Yeah, doesn't Doja do that type of stuff, though, where she like just announces stuff and doesn't really mean it? Like She said she was pretty music a while ago. Yeah, but I assume when any uh, artist or musician says they're quitting music, they're not quitting music. Yeah. Because 99% of the artists who end up quitting music don't fucking tell you. They just stop putting out music. Yeah, most of these artists are under labels. Like, they have a contract. They have to do a certain amount of albums. Yeah, otherwise they, they just be dying with the album on there, and then they hassling your brother, cousin, mothers for either their advance money back, or they be like, get on the mic, bitch. Uh, yeah, I, you don't give I'm, me that album since he, he or she can't. I would say I'm a Doja fan since I only like to say so, but That's the she's only cool. Doja Cat song you like, or the only They're, one you've listened to and liked? There might be another one that I like. I just think that you and Doja Cat, out of all the people and things you listen to, that would that would be your chick. But she's not. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. All right. That's all for me. That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know which media to do. Mm. I have several this time. Oh, well, uh, you decided to have a slight story. Okay. Okay, so another piece of media I've been consuming as much as possible is RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, a, a couple things have me pissed off. First of all, MTV. I got rid of my cable, so I can't just stream via the MTV app. I had to pay for the season to watch it, which I'm okay with. Except for they don't let you watch it until the next fucking day. Why am I paying 27 bucks for a season and I can't watch it at the same time it gets released? Bullshit. Oh. And then number two, the season, the finale was Friday. Today was Saturday. And I didn't get on Twitter. I didn't get on Instagram because I was like, Katrina, you playing yourself if you get on those things and you won't you won't be spoiled. So don't do that. That's stupid, Katrina. I said, and the thing is, I I mean, pretty much you could have called who was gonna win. I open up YouTube the first 
fucking video says blank blank crowned. What? <laughs> Are you fucking serious? I was kind of pissed. I almost tweeted about it, but I was just so pissed I couldn't even tweet. I was just I closed everything. Because even if I knew who was going to win, I didn't want to be spoiled. I wanted to watch it happen. 90% so of the time, I love spoilers, so... <laughs> I do too, but when it comes to drag, that drag race is one of the, when it comes to finale drag race, that's the only spoiler I don't want. Sometimes I like to get a spoiler on the lip sync because uh, then I, I don't, I'm not anxious. I already know who wins, but I'm like, damn, can I get some surprises? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, my medias this week, I'm going to have two. I love it. Okay, my first media is the movie Fences with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. Oh, no. <laughs> when I first saw the trailer for Fences and Denzel Washington said, it's not easy for me to say I've been living, I've been staying in the same spot for 18 years. Mm. I, I don't know why, but I really connected with that, that I quit my job. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm standing here. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not moving. I'm like, I've had this job for three years. I need to leave. So I ended up leaving because of that trailer. Um, and then I went to go see the Fences and Movie Theaters. And it surprisingly was a packed theater, which I didn't think it would be. We did arrive late to us with my sister. So I feel like that's why we were late. Because she was <laughs> late. <laughs> uh, but... I love that movie. I love the, it's, you know, it's based off of play and it, when you watch it, it kind of feels like a play too, which I like plays. Not a lot of people do. So I don't know if, how people would feel about that movie, but just Viola's scene alone of her speech of what about me? What about my life? Just mm-hmm. watch that on YouTube. Look at her tears. Look at her snot. Look at the feelings. And just, Viola snot bubbles Davis. <laughs> yes. And it's just a just a great movie overall. And I bought the like you know, sometimes they make a novelization of the movie. I bought that too. Okay. Um I, I my, personally loved Fences, but I don't think I could rewatch it again because it made me mad. Oh yeah. So for those of you who haven't watched Fences, it's about a fence. <laughs> Picket <laughs> slash iron. Now, it's about, it's, I guess it's going to be spoilers. It's about Viola and Denzel are married, and they have a son, and it's really hard to explain. Go watch it. I, don't, I was going to say, don't explain <laughs> it. You really can't break down the... Yeah. Because I was trying to think of, and then there's this guy. But and... then there's the situation when the son finds out this, and we go go over there, and then it's like, oh, the fucking speech happens, not bubbles, they're upset, they're together. And he's like, or that's strike two, not? and it's like, we ain't talking about baseball, and it's like, okay. Which is funny, because he does play baseball. And he's okay. a trash guy. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole movie right there. If it makes sense, it makes sense. I mean, we explained it perfectly. Yeah, if. If you don't understand, it's a you problem. Mm, you're the problem. <laughs> so that's one of my medias. And my second media is a song called This Grudge. It is by Alanis Morissette. I was going to start singing it in the, the This Love. <laughs> Re-di- <laughs> rendition, rendition? Yeah. Which it's 
uh, wonderful song by Alanis, one of her, I think 2009 album, somewhere around there. No, 2004-ish, I think. And it's just about, she's had this grudge for years and she wants to let it go. She wants to be free. She wants to forgive them. And it, it had been weighing on me, this song, and about forgiveness and stuff and trying to be a better person. And after five long years, I finally have started communication with my sister again, which I don't think I was in the wrong in our situation. But at the end of the day, once I started the communication again, it was like that I didn't even know. It really felt like a huge weight was lifted off me. And people say that all the time, and I never really understood it. But it really did feel like, you know, something was lifted. That's great to hear. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that's it. It was kind of like the scene in Beaches, if you ever seen Beaches. Very, very, very long time ago. You don't remember Beaches? Me and my sister used to quote that to each other all the time when we're like, you're so jealous you can't even breathe. Well, you haven't talked about Beaches in a long time, and I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of... <laughs> A lot of things I Now you're talking about beaches all the damn time. How am I supposed to know? (laughs) But, uh, I don't know. It's just trying to move forward and move, be more forgiving. Forgiveness has always been a hard thing for me. Mm -hmm. I think if I felt wronged or slighted in some way, I'm going to hold that grudge over you, just waiting for the moment to get back at you. But I'm, I'm yeah. trying to move on. Jose's philosophy is you wronged me, you talk to me first. I wronged you, you talk to me first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to. I am mad at that though, because sometimes the people who have wronged you or you have wronged was only in response to you feeling slighted as well. But it's just. You're just like, mm-mm, so-and-so better say something to me. I ain't got something to say to them. <laughs> something I realized about myself, or two things I realized, really, since this is the Jose show now. Um, <laughs> one, I gave up caffeine for Lent, so for 40 days. And then on Easter, I could drink it up again, and I drank coffee, and then at work, I realized you I was such... Paint. No. Oh. I was such in a bad mood and Ooh. kind of edgy, and I realized that it is making me very irritable. So I, I'm just gonna stop caffeine altogether because it makes my anxiety fly to the roof. And when I feel anxious, I get snappy at people. So that's not mm-hmm. a good thing. So are we still going to Starbucks, but not getting caffeinated drinks? Yes, when I go to Starbucks, I get a. Uh, Strawberry cream frappuccino, which does not have caffeine. Okay. And my second thing that I realized about myself is sometimes you told, I remember one time I got into it with your roommate and you were like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said that I was going to go for the jugular. And that is something I do. Like a slight offense to me. I'm going to attack and hit you where it hurts. You that know, is true. Metaphorically. And, and guess what? I was wrong. Let me tell you. 
I should have let Jose just unleash his fury. In fact, I wish I would have saved him for my other roommate because that bitch is trash. To this day, I remember her first and last name. I hate her. I can't stand her. Nasty bitch. <laughs> but that's my grudge. <laughs> yeah. But so, you were you you were about to you you were about to fucking break that poor little girl. <laughs> and she she would not have been able to keep up with you. She would have been stuttering. She would have been crying. She wouldn't have known what to do. It's something that I've realized that just because, you know, me and this person are having an argument or something, I do not have to take it to that level. I don't have to hit that low, hit that hard, hit that in that spot that I know that's going to hurt. And so I'm really, 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 really trying to be not as reactionary because even if I think I'm right and know I'm right does not mean I have to burn the bridge and make them feel horrible. Mm. Yeah, some other people <laughs> in my life need to learn that lesson. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I live I live with a family of button pushers, and I'm a huge button pusher. So <laughs> I I think the reason me and you have been friends for so long is because I try to attack and you are mostly if we ever have like a disagreement it's like no we're not doing that right now type of thing like you you don't let me you don't feed into the negative energy i'm trying to make you put out there oh really well it's nice to hear i'm, I'm such a great fucking person <laughs> <laughs> you are i feel like sometimes you're my moral compass anytime i have a question like is this right or wrong i always go to you oh really that's interesting i don't mean you're a lot of things for me, so it's good that I'm at least one thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> but that is our episode. Um, if you want to reach out to us to let us know how you feel about these interviews or other interviews. Yep, because uh, I got some other ones in the chamber. Yes. Our email is saveyoursorry at gmail.com. Our Instagram is also that name, saveyoursorry. We post... Updates on there on new episodes. Our Twitter is Savior Sorry. The your is spelled you are. And I think that's all of it. Oh, please leave us a review. Please leave us five stars or whatever you feel we deserve. But we would really like the five stars. I mean, We're we like even like five. a little message you want to read. You just tell us something. Just tell us something. It ain't got to be sweet or nice. We just want to hear from you. Tell us. Come Let home. Us the kids miss you. Oh. So sad. Okay. <laughs> Thank, you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. It's been wonderful. Bye. See ya.